Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. What a special and powerful time Christmas is. If, ever, if you've ever had a baby, you know what a big change comes in such a small package. But there's never been a baby who was more important than Jesus. One of the aspects of the birth of Jesus that has always bothered me, I mean, I'm talking like since I was a little kid, is that he was born in a stable and placed in a manger. Now, it even bothers me more now that I went to Israel back in October and I found out that the mangers weren't even made out of wood. They were made out of stone. We're going to put a picture up on the screen. and There it is. That's a manger from Megiddo in Israel, and it's from about the uh, time of Jesus, that archaeological level of, uh, of ground from the time of Jesus. So when he was born that night and put in a manger, it wasn't a nice little wooden one, you know, with the little cross legs at the bottom. It was a piece of stone that was on the bottom. And I picture now, you know, he rolls over in the middle of the night, scratches his face on a stone. It really bothers me. And if I were God, and it's a good thing I'm not God, but if I were God, and my only son were going to come to earth as a human being, I think this is what I would have done. I would have lined up hundreds of magnitude one stars across the sky that said, it's a boy. And then there would have been an arrow pointing right down to where he was. That's what I would have done. But that isn't what God did. In fact, the night that Jesus was born, very few people knew about it. The angels came and they sang to a handful of shepherds out in a field outside of Bethlehem. And those shepherds ran to Bethlehem. They probably got people awake, you know, along the way saying the Savior's been born. And so, you know, a handful of people show up in the stable in Bethlehem. But most of the people in the world had no idea that it was happening. And God actually did do one thing special. I mean, other than the fact that he became a human being in the little guy Jesus. But he put a star in the sky, a special star that signified the birth of Jesus. And once again, it shone brightly in the evening sky, but there were only a handful of people who saw it and understood what it meant. And that's who we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about those wise men that came from the east to see Jesus. And uh, let me share with you the take-home point for today. If you're new here or watching online for the first time, the take-home point is the one point that we make in our messages. We want everybody to take it home. That's the name. And then think about it, reflect on it, and live it out in some way in the week ahead. So here it is. The Jesus' natal star guided the wise men to him, and his light guides us to his Father. So Jesus' natal or birth star led this group of men from somewhere in the east to Israel and eventually to Bethlehem where they got to worship this child who was born the king not only of the Jews but the king of the world eventually the savior and lord of the world and so as Jesus grew up though what happened was his life guided all of us who will receive the message to his heavenly father to the one true living God so that's what we're going to talk about uh, today and probably no surprise, given that it's Christmas. And that's sort of the fun and challenging thing about Christmas and Easter and Pentecost and all these, Christmas, these holidays that, that followers of Jesus celebrate is we sort of pretend like Jesus is going to be born, you know, again on, on December 25th. But he's not. He was born 2,000 years ago, one time in history. That's it. And so it's sort of challenging. Every year we come and we talk about the same thing over and over and over and over again. And so that's the challenging part. The fun part to me, maybe fun isn't the right word, but I find this fun, is that the God of the universe, who is light. I mean, if you want to use an image for the God of the universe, he is light that shines in the darkness. And we, 
created the darkness when we're talking about spiritual darkness. We rejected him, but he didn't turn away from us. And so when it came time to demonstrate in the best possible way who he is, he became one of us. And Jesus is the brightest light that has ever shone in the world. And he shines in the darkness of our lives. And he comes to the world to show us life and light and truth and love. All of these things that we talk about uh, as followers of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Matthew's account of Jesus' birth. We usually, I think almost every year but one here at New Life at the Christmas season, we've looked at Luke's gospel. It, it has a, 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 you know, a, I don't know, it has the stable, it has the manger, has all of the shepherds and stuff. But this is a different account. There are only two of the four gospels, Matthew and Luke, that tell us anything about Jesus' birth, but we're going to go to Matthew because that's the one that has the star in the sky. It's the one that has the wise men. Before we turn there, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your truth and your goodness and your love. We thank you today that as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we know that he didn't stay a baby, but he grew to be the perfect man, son of God, that lived in a way that none of us could and died and rose again and now he's with you and he has sent your spirit to us who believe so that we can live our lives as light for others. God, today as we turn to this account that we find in Matthew's gospel of the wise men and Herod and all that took place, we pray, God, that you will use it to remind us new and fresh how much you love us, how good you are, and how your light shines through every kind of darkness that we might ever experience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it'll be up on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And it says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. What an incredible statement. While she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. When I say incredible, I mean unbelievable. There are not very many people in the world, if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, not very many people believe that this happened. It only happened once in all of human history. Only one time was the Holy Spirit the father of a child. That was Jesus. But a lot of people don't believe it. And the thing is, if Jesus truly is fully God and fully human... The idea that when he was born of a human mother, that the father was the Holy Spirit isn't that hard to believe. And I don't want to go down a rabbit trail this morning, but when people who say there is no God or who say that Jesus is a myth or certainly the virgin birth is a myth, the, the truth of the matter is they have no proof. They have philosophical and logical arguments. And what they say is they start with the foundational premise that the miracles don't happen. Well, if miracles don't happen, then obviously none of this is true. They also say that in science, you know, you have to be able to repeat something in a laboratory for it to be demonstrated to be a real or a fact. And a once in a history experience, by definition, is not going to be repeated. Now, we who maybe are skeptical are not the only ones who were skeptical. If we turn back to the scripture, it says this. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Can you picture the conversation between Mary and Joseph? Mary comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, I, I need to tell you something. What is it, Mary? Well, you're probably not going to believe this, but an angel visited me and spoke to me. 
Well, what did, you, what did he say? He said that I'm going to have a baby. Don't you mean we're going to have a baby? Like after we get married down the road, we're going to have a baby? No, Joseph. He said the Holy Spirit is going to be the father. I'm already pregnant. Now, I don't know if that's exactly how the conversation went. But what we know from what we just read is that Joseph was a righteous man, a good man. And he didn't want to punish Mary the way the Mosaic law required, which was for the people to take her outside of the city and stone her to death. But what Joseph wanted to do was simply to put her away quietly. You see, it was a scandalous thing in those days for someone to be pregnant outside of marriage. So as we continue to read, it says, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Joseph is very distraught, as anybody would be in that situation. He's considering how he's going to handle this whole situation. And we don't know even if it was night or if he was just so exhausted he just fell asleep. But he fell asleep and he started to dream. And as he dreamed, an angel appeared to him in the dream. Imagine that. Now, was this just wishful thinking? Or, or was the angel really there? Well, the angel knew Joseph's name. The angel knew that he was from the line of David. The angel told Joseph that what Mary said was true and that he should go ahead and marry her. And then the angel said, and you should name the child Jesus or Yeshua in the Hebrew because he's going to save his people from their sins. The name Yeshua means Savior or Yahweh, that is God, saves. Wow, that's a pretty incredible dream. And Matthew, being a Jewish man by background, and he's, you know, of the four gospel writers, Matthew was Jewish. And, and so he often tied in the events in Jesus' life, even here before he's born, to prophecy from the Jewish scriptures. And so this is what Matthew says next, or writes next. He said, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The prophet that Matthew refers to here is Isaiah. Isaiah lived 800 years before Jesus was born, and yet he predicts specifically that a virgin is going to conceive and have a son. Now, he doesn't say the child would be named Jesus, but Emmanuel, another name for Jesus, God is with us. And what an amazing name, because Jesus is intimately connected with you and me. God is with us, with you, with me. And then we read, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. So, I said it was an incredible thing to believe that a woman could be pregnant and that the Holy Spirit would be the father. But Joseph was convinced. And so he went along with what Mary said. And as he did that, and as we live you know, a couple thousand years down the road, we look at the account, and that's why a lot of people say that Jesus was a myth, or at least this account is mythical. But once again, if there is a God who exists supernaturally, he exists outside of the natural universe that he created, it isn't so hard to believe that he could step into that universe in whatever way he chose. But in this case, he chose to do it as one of us, so we could relate to him. That's amazing and incredible. So 
Let's move back to the part of, or let's move on, I should say, to the part of the account of Jesus' birth that includes the wise men or the magi. If you've heard the word magi, it's because in the original Greek in which Matthew wrote, um, the word magi is used there for the wise men. So this is the first thing it says in chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. King Herod. There were six King Herods in ancient Israel. Three of them were alive when Jesus was born. Now, obviously, only one of them was ruling at the time, but they, they would come you know, send to the throne eventually, each one in their turn. And I'm not going to talk a lot about the Herods this morning other than to say if they were alive today, none of us would be sending them Christmas cards. They were not nice people. They were mean and nasty and jealous. And the news of a new king being born in his territory was not going to be received as good news to King Herod. So it says, About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So most biblical scholars believe these wise men were actually astrologers. Not astronomers, but astrologers, the ones who write the horoscopes. And so they were looking in the sky for news, and whoa, there's a news flash. New king born in Israel. And so they loaded up, and they started on a journey to follow the star, because the star guided them to the place where the child was. That was the process that was used. And how many wise men were there? And the quick answer is three, because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the, the probably true answer is there were a lot of them. We don't know how many, but there were probably a large entourage and they loaded up and they traveled across the desert from wherever they came. It was desert. They loaded across the desert, traveled across the desert, and they eventually came to Israel. Now, they watched the star. It guided them during their entire journey. But at the very end, being wise men, they assumed that Jesus, being the king of the Jews, would have been born in the palace in Jerusalem. So for some reason, at the, towards the end, they used their brains instead of the star to guide them, and they ended up in the palace in Jerusalem. Which brings me back to my problem with Jesus being born in a stable in a manger. What kind of king is born in a stable in a manger? Jesus never lived in a palace. Jesus never had a crown on his head except the crown of thorns that they put on his head when they crucified him. Jesus never wore a purple robe, which was the preferred color of royalty in Jesus' day, except whenever the Roman soldiers mocked him by putting a royal robe on him after he was beaten and before he was crucified. Jesus was no ordinary king. That's what we find out by the manner of birth and by the place of birth and by the kind of life and by the kind of death. And what do, we, what do we learn about this? God was thinking about all of us. I mean, we can't maybe identify with somebody, a monarch born in a great palace wearing stately robes. But all of us can identify, whatever station of life from which we come, we can all identify with this lowly child born in a stable, placed in a stone feeding trough as his first place to live. Now we're told next that King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Well, it's easy to figure out why King Herod was deeply disturbed because this guy, whoever he was, this little baby was going to grow up and he was going to be a usurper of the throne. That's how he saw it. So why were all the rest of the people upset? Well, it's sort of one of those kind of take a you know, a word from the modern day, you know, when, when Herod ain't happy, <laughs> ain't nobody happy. That's sort of the way it was. 
right? So Herod wanted to know what was happening, so he called on the leading priests and teachers of the law. It says that as we look in verse 4 and following, it says, He called a meeting of their leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. So, Matthew goes back to the prophets. Once again, this time it's the prophet Micah. The religious leaders knew this, like, duh, don't you realize that's where the king, the Messiah is going to be born because he's a descendant of David. And the Gospel of Luke tells us that the reason Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem is because the emperor of Rome had called for a census of the entire Roman world. Everybody had to go back to the homeland of their ancestors. And since Joseph was from the line of David, really the tribe of Judah, he had to go back to Bethlehem. That's why they were there. Now, they were there for the birth of Jesus, and this fulfilled the prophecy. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. Joseph was from the tribe of David, or the the line of David, the tribe of Judah, But he wasn't the dad. So why do we even care about that? Well, here's the thing. Joseph married Mary, and Mary and Joseph were both from the tribe of Judah. Ordinarily, you married someone from within your own tribe. It was very uncommon to marry somebody outside of your tribe. So Mary's lineage traces back to King David too. But in those days, they didn't keep track of the the women's lineage. But you can see why it's so important in this particular case. So then it says, Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. This is uh, all the advisors, the religious leaders, they're, get out of here. I want to just talk to these people myself. And so the meeting's going on, and it says, he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. You may have a nativity scene in your house, maybe out in your front yard, and if you do, it probably has Jesus in the very center. That's where he should be. Then you have Mary and Joseph. Then you have some shepherds on one side, and you have some wise men on the other side. That's historically inaccurate. I hate to tell you. I mean, it does look very balanced, but the wise men didn't show up for two years. Now, how do I know that? Because Herod got this private meeting with the wise men so he could find out when did they first see the star, which was when Jesus was born, and they said when it was, we don't, it doesn't say it right here, but we know what Herod did after the wise men left Bethlehem. He sent his troops and he murdered every child two years of age and under, male child, in all of Bethlehem and the surrounding region in order to kill Jesus. That's, I told you the Herods weren't nice guys. So we know that the wise men weren't there the night Jesus was born. They weren't there for many nights. It was two years later that they got to finally come. Now, Herod told them, please, when you find Jesus, he didn't know the name, the Messiah, when you find him, come back and tell me because I want to worship him too. That was a lie, and we'll see that God prevented that particular thing from happening. But as we continue to read, it says, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. So the wise men had been traveling for two years. I believe that what they were doing was they were traveling at night. That makes sense because the stars were out at night. They followed the star, and when daytime came, they rested, and then they would start again. For whatever reason, whenever they got close to um, 
Jerusalem and Bethlehem are eight miles apart. So they got close to both cities. Um, maybe it became daytime. And they said, well, uh, duh, we're going to go to the palace in Jerusalem. That's where it will be. Then they found out they were wrong. And after the interview, they travel back and the star appears again, probably because it got to be night again. Anyway, they come back to, uh, or they follow the star and it stops right over this house in Bethlehem. And it says they were filled with joy. Now, I titled this message, Starlight, Star Bright. When we were little kids, all of us were taught by somebody that the first star in the sky, you would say, starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight, I wish I may, I wish I might, have the wish I wish tonight. Now, the, the, the wise men didn't have to wish because their star was actually a star that guided them to the place where Jesus was. And when they finally got there, their, their journey was over and they were filled with joy. Joy is that deep internal sense of well-being that's so much more than happiness. Happiness occurs when you wake up on Christmas morning and you open up the present and it's exactly what you wanted. That's happiness. And it might last until the evening, might last for the next week or month, but most of us don't remember what we got for Christmas last year. Happiness fades, but joy endures. It remains. So as we finish out the, the text, it says, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So as we read this, what we find is that Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem two years later. Why? Why would they still be in Bethlehem when they came from Nazareth? That's where they lived. And Nazareth and Bethlehem are 211 miles apart the way the crow flies. So why would they still be there? I don't know for sure, but I have a good guess. Nazareth wasn't probably a very pleasant place to live for Mary and Joseph. I mean, you realize they didn't say, hey, an angel visited us and Mary's pregnant because nobody would believe that. So they bore the shame of the situation, thinking that someone else was the dad. And so it probably was easier to live in Bethlehem. And Joseph was a carpenter. He was a skilled laborer. He could get work anywhere. We don't know for sure, but it makes sense that that might be why they were still there. In any case, the wise men come to the house, and they come in, and there's Mary, and there's Jesus, and they bow down, and they worship him. And then they open up their treasure chest, and they give three gifts fit for a king, not so much for a toddler. <laughs> Can you imagine a toddler going, what's this piece of gold for? I don't need this. You know, frankincense, you probably couldn't pronounce it, right? Myrrh? But they recognize this king. This is the one that they had been shown, the, the natal star. This is the one that God had led them to. Now, if we read on, and we're not going to read on, we would find that God warned the wise men not to go back to Herod, but to go home a different way. And when Herod was tricked, he sent his soldiers. But God also orchestrated Joseph, another dream from an angel, and he's told, in the middle of the night, get up, take Mary and the baby, and go to Egypt. And they do. So when, Herod, when Herod's soldiers come and kill all of the babies, all the toddlers, boy child, children, in Bethlehem, Jesus is already a refugee in Egypt. Once again, we have this idea. This is no ordinary king. I mean, he was born in a stable. He lives, you know, in sort of anonymity. He goes and becomes a, a refugee in Egypt. And then when Herod dies... Joseph's given another dream. He's told you can bring, come back. And so if you come from Egypt, you come up to Jerusalem, north to Jerusalem, 
And he heard, there's another Herod in power. Oh, okay, let's just keep going. And for a couple hundred more miles, they go to Nazareth. And so Jesus and Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth. That's where Jesus grows up. So now the take-home point for tonight, today was Jesus' natal star guided the wise men to him, and his light guides us to his Father. So here we have been talking about Jesus' birth, and we've been talking about how God orchestrated it for the wise men to be able to come, for Jesus to be worshipped, for those wonderful gifts to be given, and we can see how practical they would have been if you're living as a refugee in Egypt and as you, you know, have to travel so much. But what we know is that that little baby, that toddler, grew up to be a perfect man. He was perfect because he's the son of God. We know that he taught with an authority like nobody ever before or since. We know that he would read the words of God from scripture and then he would say, you've heard it's written, but I say. In other words, I'm rewriting scripture. Who can do that? Only God. And then one day, Jesus gave his life willingly, died in the place of everyone in this room, everyone watching online, everyone in all of history. He died to pay the penalty for the darkness inside of us, the sin that's inside of us. And then he rose from the dead and returned to heaven. And in the ancient world where Jesus lived, news traveled slowly. But the news of his death and resurrection traveled throughout the Middle East, all the way to Rome, all the way to India in a matter of a couple of decades. It transformed the world, because Jesus' light shined brighter than any other light ever. And I've had people come to me over the years, I've been a pastor for more than three decades, and they say, Pastor, I have done some terrible things. I am so evil. God could never love me. God could never forgive me. But the light of Jesus shines through that kind of darkness. The blood of Jesus was shed to take away that kind of darkness and to give us light. And all through this Christmas season, what we've been talking about here at New Life in this Merry and Bright series is that we are the light of the world. Jesus said he was the light of the world, but then he said you are the light of the world. And when Jesus comes in as Savior and Lord in our life, and if you don't know what that means, Savior means one who saves us from our sin and from death and saves us for a life of meaning and purpose. And Lord means master or owner. He gets to tell us what to do. And We've been talking about how we're supposed to go out and shine that light in the darkness of the world around us so that others will hear and see. Because as Jesus told us, that's what we are, light. And when they see the light, the darkness is dispelled. So that's what we've been doing here during this four weeks of the Christmas season. And if you have never received the light of Jesus Christ into your life, you've never received him as Savior and Lord, what I want to do is give you an opportunity to do that today. At the end of every message in this series, we've had a prayer that we put up on the screen. And that prayer has to do with how do we transfer ownership, basically, from ourselves to Jesus. Here's the prayer for today. It says, Jesus, thank you for being the light of the world. I confess I've been living in darkness. I need you to come in and take over. Be my Savior, my Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I will live in your light and show you to others. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you've never said a prayer like that before, never transferred ownership of your life, I would encourage you to pray that with me. And all of you who have already done that, it's certainly a good thing to recommit ourselves to Jesus at this point. So let's pray together right now. Jesus, thank you for being the light of the world. I confess I've been living in darkness. I need you to come in and take over. Be my Savior, my Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I will live in your light. 
and show you to others. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the very first time and you're here in the room today, I would encourage you after worship to go to the next step at table and tell Pastor Mark. Uh, we would just like to send you a letter this week that tells you a little bit more about how you live into this new life that Jesus gave us. And for all of us, the next step for today, and for those who are new, we have a next step, which is an application of what we've been talking about, because words without application, just words. But when we apply them in our life, other people can see. So here it is. I will reflect the light of Jesus in my life. I will reflect the light of Jesus in my life. I'm so grateful that Jesus came to the earth as a baby, as one of us. I'm so grateful that the wise men got to come and acknowledge him for who he was when he was just a toddler. I'm even more grateful that he grew up to be who he was, the son of the living God who died and rose again and went to heaven and sent his spirit so we can live a new life. He does indeed guide us to his heavenly father and that light within us is his spirit, the spirit of the living God that we get to live new lives. So in this Christmas season, as we come up to Christmas in just a couple of days, let's continue to shine our lights so that other people in our families, eventually our workplaces, our schools, and wherever we are can get to see that light and experience Jesus too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for sending Jesus, the light of the world, to us. And we pray today, God, that you would fill us new and fresh with your Holy Spirit, that we can reflect that light to others. We pray that we can bring you glory and honor in our lives. We pray that when people see your good works, our good works, that they will glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.